here. Good afternoon. This is Michael Vandervoort. I am on uh, Drive Through HR, and this is going to be an episode of Labor Relatedly with my uh, co-host John Hyman. John, we are uh, we've been remiss in doing a show. It's been a month or so. How are you? I am hanging, man. How are you? I'm good. We 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 discussed Thanksgiving in the pre-show, so I'm not going to go there. I'm good. It's been uh, an unusual month or so the some of the activity that we saw with the frenetic organizing at starbucks and a number of other retailers and service industry stuff seems to have calmed down as we head towards year end but there have been quite a few other interesting developments um in the labor relations world here over the last month or so and so i thought we'd uh, get together and just kind of chat our way through three or four of them and i know the first one we had teed up is one that you called out about a month ago when we were, <laughs> or about three <laughs> weeks ago, because we've been busy when we first started trying to get this this episode in the can. So here we are. So you you have a case that's pretty interesting related to uh, something that you rarely see, which is um, uh, sometimes referred to as a company dominated union. You want to you want to set us up with what that's about and who who's impacted? Yeah, it involved T-Mobile. They essentially set up an internal employee committee that would act as a i'm going to call it a, a suggestion box mm-hmm. uh, for the company where they would um they uh, appointed a number of individuals to serve on this committee the individuals would take suggestions from employees and then they would figure out if they could implement them or not implement them um and some of them were issues like customer facing issues, but some of them were um, employee facing issues like PTO and scheduling and other things. And the NLRB um, after a number of years of litigation held that this this practice by T-Mobile was essentially, and it was an employer dominated union illegal under 882 of the National Labor Relations Act. So it's it's an issue that well, I think we might have touched on this in an earlier episode as well, but it's just it's not it's not an issue. Like I remember studying uh, electromation is like the key case. And I remember right. studying that I remember the studying that in law school, you know, whatever, 26, 27 years ago, whatever. And I don't think I've come across it since until now. It's just an issue you don't see a lot of. Yeah, you don't you don't see people dropping that. Well, this is an electromation case very, <laughs> very, very often. <laughs> kind of kind of like Joy Silk up until this year. Um, anyway, um, so some context around the, the T-Mobile situation and I'm by no means an expert, but but a couple of things are in play here, I think. One is T-Mobile. I don't think it that that this is the case anymore, but for a number of years, T-Mobile was owned by Deutsche Telekom, a German company. And so the the idea of company unions is more common to Germany, right? With the works councils model, um, and so I think part of the part of the you know sort of the energy of of adopting this approach at T-Mobile may have come from their roots out of 
their German ownership and and sort of they, they were T-Mobile was the U.S. arm of Deutsche Telekom, but I think they've since been spun off or t- taken public or something. The other thing is, was it CWA Communication Workers of America has been trying to organize T-Mobile for a number of years. That is correct. And they they were the party that really drove this um, charge at the NLRB because they. T-Mobile had has been thus far successful in 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 holding off their organizing attempts, um, and 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 CWA saw I think um, some an opportunity to say, look, they're you know, of course they're holding us off. They have their own union and they run it. They get to they get to set the they get to set the rules and all this kind of stuff. So I don't know if that's exactly how the T-Mobile. Uh, uh, you know, suggestion box setup model that you've talked about worked, but you know what you you talked about things like uh, work schedules and different things. PTO, they uh, they were uh, apparently teeing up issues that are related to terms and conditions of employment, and that's, that's where that, they went awry, right? Yeah, that that's the problem, right? So you you can have a and I and as I've thought about, I mean, look when we talk about. Uh, and we've talked before about kind of why employees organize and having a a lack of a voice in the workplace is one of the main reasons why we've seen this surge in organizing and to the extent employers can give employees a voice by having the, you know, the quote unquote suggestion box that management listens to and maybe does some things with to the betterment of employees that, that gives employees this feeling of, you know, voice and respect and whatnot that helps, you know, keep unions at arm's length. And if the NLRB is going to limit how employers can use these tools, it is certainly going to give unions a leg up because it's going to prevent employers from, it's going to create, I would say, an artificial barrier between union or between management and employees. It's going to let the union say, see, management is not listening to you. Um, Yeah, but I think what got T-Mobile in trouble here was some of the issues that they (laughs) That they were that they were talking to the employees about about the, you know about you know PTO and um, you know time off and vacations and scheduling and whatnot and some things that are definitely terms and conditions of employment, which I think is what let T-Mobile argue to a very receptive board that this is this is really nothing more than an employer dominated or employer controlled union and board you should not allow this. So, so the remedy here from the board is to, I guess, to tell T-Mobile they can no longer operate this committee or council, right? Yeah, I think that's correct. Yeah, and and if I if I I, I was I read a little bit a couple of weeks ago, I think T-Mobile has announced that it, it intends to to fight that ruling. So that this isn't. I have yeah. This has been. This is the second board decision. So there was a decision in 2019. Um, and then it went up, I think, to the DC circuit and then back down to the NLRB. So we have the second board ruling and now um and that has found this illegal. And now we're probably going to head back to the DC circuit for round round two in the federal court of appeals. Yeah. So it, it must be something that for T-Mobile's culture and for their business model, they must view it as being important because this is not a fight that a lot of companies would would take on like a lot of companies wouldn't even have this model in place and, and if t-mobile is you know being held to a tell the task for you know violating the nlrb and they're they're fighting they must view it as an integral part of their operation so i was gonna kind of head towards oper- um like practical 
implications for practitioners here, right? So most of the people listening are probably saying, well, I don't have anything like that at my company, but you do have a lot of different programs that um, as practitioners, we all have, you know, sort of suggestion box programs or ways that employees can communicate to us, whether they be focus groups or town hall meetings or, um, you know, electronic idea boxes that are have kind of replaced the old book suggestion box hanging on the wall and a lot of this stuff is very common and rarely challenged but it kind of falls at least very in a very broad bucket it falls underneath this in some ways right soliciting your employees for you know ideas is one thing issues is another right so what where's the line here for people and what like this is interesting to us as labor geeks but where, where does it matter for practitioners you know it's interesting that the dissents um made a huge deal in in the dissent <laughs> the dissenting opinion in the dissent made a huge deal that while there were while there was evidence of discussions of terms and conditions mandatory subjects through this t voice this uh, suggestion program it was limited i think if i remember correctly it was like five or six instances that the uh that the charging party was able to come up with showing that there was terms and conditions that were adjusted um, through this through this T-voice program. And the dissent said, look, we should not be finding the, the existence of an, you know, an illegal company-dominated union through a sporadic showing of five or six or seven uh, examples of a program being used to adjust terms and conditions of employment. We should really be looking for a pattern or practice of uh, employees coming to management through some process with their concerns, and then management adjusting those concerns, you know, one way or another. Mm -hmm. So we should be we should be looking for pattern and practice, not you know a half dozen or a dozen um, isolated incidents. And and you know maybe and that was not. That was not made clear in the majority opinion, so I'm not sure that's a distinction that the majority relied upon, but the dissent felt that was critical. So that might be, you know, that may be one uh, 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 kind of pressure lever for employers to push on moving forward, um, but maybe the safer course of action, and as a lawyer, I always, uh, my clients, um, you know, my, my job is to limit liability and look, <laughs> look for the, and look for the safest course of action for my clients. Um, you know, maybe the safest course of action is just to say, look, we're, we're not going to use this, we're, we're, whatever system we have set up, the, uh, the inbox, the, the pen and paper drop box by the front, you know, by the receptionist desk, whatever system we're using, um, the 800 number, we're not going to use it to um, discuss statutory subjects of bargaining, mandatory subjects of bargaining. We're going to use it to to talk about things that an employer in a union would not be required to bargain over if there was a collective bargaining relationship between the two. And maybe that's the maybe that's the safer course of action here uh, moving forward. Yeah, um, I, I worked at a company going back, you know, a couple decades ago that um, actually had a similar setup to what this T-Mobile counselor committee 
sort of appears to be, you know, from reading the cases and some of the descriptions in the news. I mean, I've, I've never been to T-Mobile and really don't know what their organization looked like, but we had a, something that we called a, an employee advisory committee. And it was, it was operated in a fa closely held family, privately owned business. We had no organizing. We had no, you know, real serious labor union issues. And it had, it had operated for decades and they used it as a sounding board, basically, you know, to test, to test changes to the system and to, you know, like a new, if you're going to change health care providers, they'd run the provider by this group of people. And, you know, that was often senior people with a lot of credibility and so on and so forth. So it really was a consulting kind of environment. And, and when I first joined the company, I was like, this looks a lot like an employer don't, you know, and they're like, nobody wanted to hear it. And I guess the good news is they did never had never faced any challenges. And so they didn't view it as being super risky. So my experience says you can have these kind of groups, as long as you have healthy culture and no challenges, but it, it does come with a certain amount of risk, it, you know, give it this case, right? If things turn on you, then all of a sudden you got the board in your back pocket, yeah, and maybe the deciding factor here is that the CWA has been trying to organize T-Mobile for years, and they just and, and they're looking at this as a potential um, opportunity to push that issue. Yeah, it's so yeah, so in a in your kind of run of the mill, you know, company, whether big publicly traded or small, you know, privately held mom and pop manufacturer or whatever, where. You don't have a union sniffing around on the peripheral or actively trying to organize employees and you're legitimately just trying to make the day-to-day -day for your workers better. Maybe this maybe this isn't an issue that ever gets ever makes it to anybody's radar. Um, but and maybe it only became an issue here because the CWA has been so aggressively trying to organize this particular employer. But that said, again, as I live in the world of kind of risk avoidance, uh, everybody loves talking to the lawyer. Um, it's, um, uh, the, the, uh, the most cautious, um, that caught the, the most cautious course of action here would be, um, if you're going to have this, uh, these types of programs in place, just don't, don't tread on mandatory subjects of bargaining. Right. Yeah. Stay away from terms and conditions of employment and wages and stuff like that. Um, yeah, great. So very interesting. Probably, probably not a lot of people ever experience it, but it's 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 a super cool, uh, super cool issue. Um, I had a conversation on my LinkedIn labor and employee relations group, and somebody requested that we comment on this. I was like, "Wow, people on this group actually listen to my podcast. That's really cool." <laughs> it was like <laughs> the my worlds crossed the intersection there for a second. So, um, but yeah, John Hagen, who's a who's a member on the on the LinkedIn group, um, called out the the Amazon situation where Amazon was ordered to. Uh, Staten Island, where there's been, you know, the, they lost an election to the Amazon Labor Union, and there's been a number of um, ULPs filed, and they lost a few of the ULPs, and and the court, a, a court judge, not the NLRB, I think, ordered them to um, 
read a 30 page decision yeah, in story, story time at amazon <laughs> grab so, your grab your blankie and slippers and cup of cocoa it's time for it's time for a story at jfk8 and we're going to read a 30 page decision from a judge which has to be like one of the most boring exercises at a, at a <laughs> uh, distribution center that's occurred in the history of earth um how unusual is this john and uh, why so, so unusual i don't even know where to start it's yeah be careful what you ask for because god what employee is going to want to sit there and listen to a 30 page judicial opinion and be read out loud to them yeah i mean like so like the so just like, wait for yeah. the just Go wait ahead. for the wage and just just wait for the wage and hour lawsuit when amazon tries to not pay the workers for the time <laughs> spent listening to them read the read the opinion to them this was a court ordered you have to yeah so 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 from an employer perspective th this is actually pretty pretty repugnant kind of a, a of a an order right i mean the most employers don't want to admit guilt in in these settlements most employers post that you know they'll agree to post something without an admission of guilt as a part of a settlement yeah, and that's order. not and that is not unusual to post i mean we, we do it with osha all the time you post up the osha um you know you post up you post up the osha citations um it is not unusual to have to post something. It is highly unusual to have to gather all your employees around and read it to them out loud as if they're, um, it's frankly, I think it's, is it, it, does it seem demeaning to the employees to say, we're, we're going to force you to sit here and we, we don't trust you enough that you're going to read it if the employer posts it. And we're going to force you to sit here and listen to it listen listen to it be read to you do, do you find that demeaning i i, I find it so the, so the nlrb th this was the other part of the question i was going to try to get to the nlrb has proposed this and and it has wanted to kind of get this kind of stuff done as part of you know adding to their to their pile of remedies and and you know it, i guess it's viewed as more punitive to the employer to have to like admit guilt on the floor in front of 5,500 employees, right? But you got, so you got third shift supervisors reading this case and everybody rolling their eyes and checking their phones. And it really seems to me, to your point, it really does seem demeaning. And it does also seem like it, it highly ineffective way to like educate employees at that location about whatever their rights are. You know, I mean, lawyers don't like reading 30 page legal opinions and that's what we're paid to do. So I can't imagine like the guy packing up the box of whatever in the Amazon distribution facility is going to want to sit there and listen. It's going to, it's going to take an hour to read through that thing. <laughs> so, so I don't know how it went, but I did see some pictures uh, or some video, you know, 30 seconds of video of an Amazon supervisor reading from the, from the announcement, you know, somewhere on Twitter or link, link to Twitter or something. And it I hope just, the organizers were waiting outside with their free beer because those employees are going to need it when they're done listening to that. I, they, and hopefully they brought some, some more free pot as well. Cause yeah, I think it, they might need a double, a double <laughs> boost after that thing. Um, So, so what, what is this? I mean, like, why would the board or a court want this? Do you think like, what's the, is there any value to it? It's just embarrassment, is what I, I, I yeah. I, I I think it's I think it's trying to embarrass Amazon is is all it is. It is, it is a judge that is clearly has an agenda and just wants wants to find another way to stick it to Amazon for the Amazon's perceived efforts to try and you know and try and avoid this union. And to me, it's nothing more than 
kind of a, a, a political agenda that is to me it's it's juvenile is maybe the best way to describe it i don't know but um yeah it's it to me it just seems petty and juvenile yeah i mean it kind of couples up with um jennifer abruzzo's desire to you know have the 10j injunction um used more frequently and it seems like right now it's recently the boards I, i'm not going to go down this rabbit hole too far but like courts aren't deferring like to the nlrb on every one of these cases i mean they're kind of splitting hairs and so it kind of really depends on as they go in for these 10 j's in some cases the courts have turned them aside or said no that you know they, they're not going to order all of the stuff that the nlrb's requested then you have this judge who kind of went an extra you know a little further than he or she needed to go and so it, it's we're just like our just like in our discourse in society where our courts are kind of all over the map on labor law remedies right now and so there's no um no predictability which is always you know companies hate that right you want to be able to you want to be able to reach into the agencies and know there's some level of sanity and even keelness even if even if you lose but you don't have that right now it seems no that's why a lawyer's best friend is it it depends we don't know yeah <laughs> in this case so um so the other thing that John from the L, my labor employee relations group, he, 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 I was going to, I just had it opened up and I, it timed out on me, of course. He said, <laughs> he said, this is referring to Amazon in Staten Island. This is the most visible labor organizing saga of the last 50 years and the current millennium. This is, there's great risk on both sides. It's amazing. Will Amazon close the facility and possibly risk contempt charges, more retaliation claims, other unfair labor practice suits, or will they comply with these orders? Big business versus the government will probably not end quickly. What a story to watch. Michael Vandervoort and John Hyman, please comment. So <laughs> I was like, like I said, wow, they listen to my podcast in this group. So I don't think Amazon's going to close Staten Island. Although I don't, I, I don't, I don't think so either. So Although we've certainly seen that tactic used by like Chipotle and Starbucks and some other companies right here. That's that's really been a fairly relied upon tactic in the, this year. Feels different to me because, you know, closing, you know, an Amazon distribution facility is, is a substantially different real estate footprint than a Chipotle in a strip mall, number one. Number two, Amazon relies on having these distribution facilities so it can you know, get you, you know, when you order an iPhone cable at eight in the morning, uh, they want to be able to deliver it to you by eight o'clock at night or at the worst eight o'clock the next morning. And if you start shutting down distribution facilities, you're putting, you're, you're turning your distribution network into Swiss cheese. And I don't think that serves, I, I don't think that serves Amazon's business model. So yeah, I, I don't see them, I, I don't see them closing a distribution facility. I think you're going to continue to see them Try to do what they can within those within those facilities. Um, do what they can to continue to kind of tamp down these efforts. There's yeah, no and 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 frankly, uh, outside of Staten Island, it's been a they've they've actually had a f f versus Starbucks campaign. Um, and again, it's you know that's elephants and versus you know I don't know what other some small animal. Um, I mean, an Amazon facility, highly highly caffeinated, highly that, caffeinated mice, yeah. thousands of people, right? But so Amazon has had success in resisting other organizing efforts. They've actually prevailed in more situations than they've lost, which is sort of the inverse equation from Starbucks, which they lose the majority of the, the ones that get filed. You know, Amazon has still has activity going on, but they had. Uh, 
they had an election in Alabama. I guess it's still up in the air over legal wrangling. And they had a second election in Staten Island and there was just a petition filed and then withdrawn in California. So they appear to have been able to kind of get on top of the ALU's success that they tried to, you know, spin out of and, and kind of, you know, do the, do the uh, blitz like Starbucks did against Amazon. And, and um, yeah, I don't think they're going to close it either. I think they're going to continue to fight fight the fight location by location. And um, I guess right now, actually, one of the bigger activities is an air, air hub in uh, down in Cincinnati, which has a few thousand people in one of these air hubs that's trying to organize for them. Go not, Ohio. Yeah, Ohio, right? It's uh, not the, one of the few non-right-to-work states in the Midwest, except for Illinois. Um, so anyway, John, thanks for the question. And I, I don't know if that, I don't know if that answers your thoughts or John Hagen, not John. Hyman. Yeah. Hey, hey, hey be, before we go on to our next topic, should, yeah. should I, should, should I read Judge Gujarati's 30 page opinion? Out loud? Uh, I don't have enough time built into the Zoom call. Can I just, can, can, can I just read the first paragraph? Because <laughs> I pulled it up. I just want to read yeah. the first paragraph yeah. So, yeah. so we can get a sense for how this is going to yeah. go for the employees. Pending before the court is the amended petition for temporary injunction under Section 10J of the National Labor Relations Act, the quote amended petition. Filed on July 8, 2022 by petitioner Kathy Drew King, Regional Director of Region 29 of the National Labor Relations Board, for on behalf of the National Labor Relations Board. See amended petition, uh, quote, AM period, PET period, close quote, ECF number 44. The amended petition relates to the April 2020 discharge from employment of Gerald Bryson by respondent Amazon.com Services, LLC, open quote, Amazon, close quote. <laughs> By way of the amended petition, and it goes on. I mean, Jesus. I mean, can you imagine having to sit there and listen to that? This is the kind of compelling remedy in labor law reform that we need from the NLRB to really <laughs> spur changes and make it easier for associates and employees to organize if that's what they're in. Yeah. Will there you go? Anyway. There you go. All right. So yeah. So thanks for that, John. <laughs> I could. I could. I'm I could only the, imagine. I'm here for the cutting edge news. I could only imagine a, a third shift supervisor reading that and the the reaction. Good lord, what a what a horrible situation to find yourself in. So um, so Starbucks. We 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 wanted to talk. So there's there's been developments there, although they not much. Um, the overall campaign has slowed down to a couple of stores every month or so it seems i just saw a couple more filed recently in like illinois and i don't know it doesn't even matter can't can't keep up but they did start meeting with the starbucks workers unions in some locations and and begin bargaining which everybody's kind of been holding their breath for especially the starbucks workers union members who have been dying to get their their proposals in front of the uh in front of the company. Um, but it turns out that that didn't go quite as well as anticipated <laughs> or, or, or it hasn't, it hasn't I gone, it hasn't gone at all. <laughs> so um, you want to, are you, are you, do you want to articulate kind of how it went or you want me to do that? I mean, they're not bargaining. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, so Littler is the, is the firm of record and Littler has is apparently I, there. I don't know if there's any Starbucks, uh, employees in in the in these meetings, but they're meeting in in, in locations in hotels, and, and then Starbucks Workers Union was also trying to have Zoom linked calls. They wanted to do hybrid bargaining with multiple stores, um, and you know have everybody linked through Zoom. And apparently, they had done some of that preliminarily with 
people from Littler. But on day one at several of these sessions, as soon as as soon as the Littler attorneys heard that's how the that Starbucks Workers Union set up had their had their negotiations set up, they said, no, we didn't agree to that. We're not going to let you uh, bargain via Zoom. We're not going to have our calls recorded. We're not going to have this, that. And they they walked and that's happened over and over and over like a half a dozen times. And it's led to um, some protests. There was a Red Cup Day protest that, uh, that involved a few hundred stores and and a few other red things. cups around christmas what's the big deal i guess it's they one, always use red cups yeah i guess it's one of the um it's actually one of because people go in to get these free cups it's one of the starbucks busiest days and so they had the so-called red cup rebellion and like 114 stores you know they shut it down so um but yeah so 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 like i, I guess this and this has frustrated Starbucks workers unions. I found a thread on Twitter the other day where um, one of the one of the Starbucks workers unions employees had shared the bargaining notes, and it said stuff like, uh, "Dude, you're wearing a puffy vest in this room. We're not in New England. What the f?" <laughs> and you know, and this other lady is like a class trader bitch, and so on. And Sarah, who was the note taker looks very lovely today. And so she was sharing this stuff out and it generated a ton of comment on, uh, on Twitter, but it's not getting, I mean, so they're, I guess the, I guess the point here is they're not making progress. This is not at all shocking, right? This is probably the strategy that Starbucks is going to employ. They're going to, they're going to slow bargain. They'll bargain in good faith, but they'll slow bargain. They'll frustrate the crap out of these people and, and try to get to a year on some of these elections and look for deserts. Yeah, well, right. I guess the question becomes when the failure to bargain in good faith charges come, what's the what? board going to do? What What's the board going to do with that with that certification date? Are they going to keep moving the certification date back and say, we're 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 not going to give you the benefit of the time when you've been slow bargaining and we're not going to start that. We're not going to start that year clock running until you actually sit down at the table and bargain in good faith. Right. And what what does that what does that you know by legal definition, John? What does that entail? And I, I kind of know the answer, but I'm asking you to set up a question. In, in, ter- in terms of good faith bargaining, it? are they good faith bargaining by basically saying no, we're not going to let you record, and we're out of here until you stop? I, I mean, I mean, I have to come at this from the management side. So I, I think, to me, if you have not agreed that bargaining sessions are going to be recorded, I, I. I think I'd walk my clients out too. Yeah. If I walked in and found out that that a bargaining that the union was going to bar is good was going to record the bargaining session without my agreement to do so, I wouldn't I wouldn't allow that to happen. No, I I totally agree with you. But, but and and that's not bad faith bargaining, right? I, I mean, don't I don't I don't think it is. I I think I, to me I think the union is the party acting in bad faith here by uh uh trying to impose uh a, a, a an intent to record where it hadn't been agreed upon between the parties. It's not that doesn't exactly, um, you know, doesn't exactly bring up the kumbaya spirit when you huh. immediately when you walk into the bargaining room and you're immediately on a, uh, you know, it's immediately adversarial because you're fighting over whether or not the meeting is going to be recorded or not. Right. And then you have snarky note takers sharing out their personal thoughts and comments to all the, you know, to all of Twitter and the Starbucks Workers Union. It looks cool. It, it's great for a social media kind yeah, of it's great. It's, it's moment. Great, it's, it's great PR for people that are sympathetic to the workers' cause here. I don't think it's bad faith bargaining by Starbucks. My guess is that 
uh, my opinion and the opinion of a majority of the members of the National Labor Relations Board are probably going to disagree on that issue. Yeah. Um, and then I wanted to comment on Trader Joe's just because of uh, because of um, relation to the industry that I work in. And there was a, a thread on Twitter last week about negotiation at Trader Joe's where they actually did meet um, with two stores, one in Minneapolis and one in Massachusetts. And apparently they met in Massachusetts. So the Minneapolis uh, bargaining committee, and I don't know how large that was, two or three people, flew to Massachusetts. So no, no call, no, no Zoom, no Skype, because the union wanted to negotiate with both stores mutually, which they have the right to do, I guess. Um, they flew on their own dime in their own time. So they're burning PTO and, you know, work hours and flight dollars to get to Massachusetts and stay in a hotel because Trader Joe's isn't paying for any of the expenses of the union bargaining committee, um, which is fine. And they met and discussed a variety of proposals. And the one that was commented on was um, dress code. It was anti-discrimination clause, actually. They wanted language related to an anti-discrimination uh, language in, in a contract. But it, a lot of it had to do with pronoun pins is what they what they called it. And so the uh, so the request was to allow people to wear a visible pronoun pin on their uniform and Trader Joe's you know, at first said, no, no, that everything, everything, we have everything we need to cover that already in our handbook. Um, we don't feel we need the language and the union continued to beat on them in negotiations, which is the way negotiations work if you're talking back and forth. And so they finally agreed apparently to allow them to wear a one inch pin as a, as a you know concession, but the union doesn't feel a one inch pin on their uniform is big enough. They, they feel like it needs to be larger and more legible and easily viewable by anybody because they feel that many of these uh, the people who have, you know, non-binary pronouns or whatever, or transgender pronouns, um, they get, ha they get harassed. And so if people knew um, it would be safer for the associators, the employees is what the unions are. Anyway, they're, they're hung up on that, but it was, it was very comical in the thread because uh, the, the woman who posted it said this, this is a big issue, you know, appearance and, and, a, and the size of a pin is a big issue over uniforms to a company that doesn't mind asking us to dress up as turkeys on Thanksgiving. <laughs> so, so, and, and she had a picture of herself dressed in a, in a turkey costume. So I was, it is a little, uh, I mean, they have every right to hold that, to hold that, you know, in the negotiations process, what they're doing is actually good faith bargaining. They have every right to hold to that position if they want to. They don't have to change it at all or modify it's it. It's a stupid issue to pick a fight over. But it's though. a stupid issue. Yeah, yeah. So although in retail uh, appearance issues, uniforms in public, in customer or public facing areas is often a big deal because if you agree, you know, no, agreed. Stuff, yeah. But anyway, it just I think the point here is so there's there's some negotiation commencing with these independent unions. Um, it is not it is definitely not going at the high level of empowerment that they felt that they were going to they were going to get when they I'm came shocked. to the table. I know we're both shocked and it may or may not be going well for them thus far. But I also think that now we're starting to see kind of the frustration emerge through these threads and these posts over the process and, and how long, because of the lack of sophistication of an independent union. I mean, they're not in there with 
littler lawyers. I mean, I know they wouldn't want littler lawyers, but they're not in there with any lawyers, or at least I haven't seen indications of that. They're right. in there on there. And, and this has to be just incredibly um, frustrating for them, but equally so for the company side, because they have to, they have to sit down and deal with this for potentially months and months and months to come. Right. Yeah. And lit and litigate. Right. And they're going to be stuck in litigation over these issues for years too. So, yeah. So once again, you know, if, if, <laughs> if you could stay away from these types of situations by never getting into them in the first place, you're so much better off doing that, that work, treating your people every right. time, you know, it's, it's just like, this is so much pain and misery for everybody that's involved in this right now. I would not want to be living through it by, by any stretch of the imagination. Yeah. Every time. Yeah. So, um, I don't know. Did I have one more thing teed up or was that it? You know, um, we were going to talk about decertification. Oh, yeah, maybe, yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that's it. No, yeah. and, and that actually, you know, that's actually kind of dovetails into the Starbucks discussion, really, because so what you can't when what when a union is certified, um, an employer is stuck with that union for a year, right? That's the certification bar rule from the year after the certification of the election. An employer stuck with that union and, and employees are prohibited from filing a petition to decertify the union. That's the process at the board by which employees can get can get rid of a union they don't want to have. Um, the NLRB is proposing a rule that would um, uh, uh, basically push back that um, uh, or push back that certification bar such that um, to the extent there's an unfair labor practice charge pending relating to, um, you know, conduct during the election or during the certification or during the, or during bargaining, um, that's going to push that year back, um, you know, pending um, it, it, until that is, until that is, until, until, that, until the charge is resolved. Yeah. And so it could really extend out um, the year to, two years, three years, even longer. So Yeah, because charges sometimes hang out there forever. I mean, you know, forever is uh, very undefined, but I mean, it can, to your point, it can be years. Yeah. Um, sometimes, I, like I, I saw an election one time where impounded ballots were held for 18 months yeah. because there was ULP pending. And and so nobody knew how the the, the vote was held, but the, but the count was never done. Company believed they won. But they couldn't find out for a year and a half, and the, the union finally relented because I guess they figured they were going to lose the ULP, and they they held the count, and it was in favor of the company. But that's a long time to wait. After yeah, it is. It, it really is. It really is for everybody, not just for the company, but they, also the people who are trying to decide if they're covered by a union contract or not. Yep. The employees. So, yeah, these uh, these these it, the stages that we're talking about now of campaigns where things get into elections and and bargaining and stuff. Those are slow, tense, painful moments that, that they last a long time and can have really strong impact on your culture. If you don't, uh, if you don't move through it fairly in your relationship. So these, again, you don't want to get here if you can stay away from it. So, right. You know, and just, just to tie a bow on all of this, um, we've seen at least one Starbucks, I think one in Oklahoma city, I think. Yeah. Um, has, filed a petition to decertify their union. They were the first Starbucks in Oklahoma to to organize, I think. Yep. And they've now filed a decert petition, which is going to get dismissed because the bar. it was only six months after the union was, yeah, the which, union was certified. Which they, so six months too early. They probably, and they probably don't understand the rules. Yeah. No, they, they don't. And, and cause they're not, yeah. Cause they're not, 
at a professional union right there. So they don't understand the rules. So. And and there's like probably 15 people at that store. And so they can get seven, seven, eight people to sign a petition to drop the union and think it'll go away. And then they'll get their raise that they gave to that Starbucks gave to all the non-union companies. That's right, probably which, what is, they're thinking. which is, which, which is what they want. But now they're caught because they're bound by the bar and the negotiations right. and so yep. on and so forth. So, well, anyway, so that's some uh, kind of a roundup of some of the labor relations stuff that's come up over the last month. Um, I guess uh, since we may not do another show between now and end of the year, what you got any, and we didn't talk about this, so I don't know if you have anything that you can say, but you got any thoughts about where we're headed in 2023? I think we're going to see, I, I I think we're going to see the organizing will continue to slow down. I think the wave has, um, I think the wave, I think the wave has peaked. I don't think it's going to be, I don't think we're going to be where it was two years ago, uh, moving forward in 2023, but I don't think, I don't think we're looking at a repeat performance of 2022, just with the, you know, rapid fire petitions um, being, being filed. And I think we'll continue to see, uh, Jennifer Abruzzo and the NLRB continue to push a very, very pro, uh, a very, very pro union agenda with policy changes that, that they can affect at the board level. So I think it's going to be more of the same, just not quite as uh, the, the the pace of elections, uh, the the pace of petitions. I think is is will continue to slow down. Yeah, I think I think the one wild card factor. So there's the other thing that we didn't we didn't talk about much was like 2021. And this year have been big years for strikes. We have the University of California strike at, at 48,000 people out on strike now. And UPS is talking about going out next year in August. And um, well, the Teamsters are talking about going out against UPS. So I think we're going to continue to see labor strife for sure, both in you know companies that are unionized now because they're trying to they're trying to protect the job security and the wages with inflation. So there's going to continue to be a lot of noise on the labor relations front. I do agree with you that probably organizing will slow down a bit, but I don't think necessarily that the level of problems and the uh, sort of the, the what we just spent 40 minutes talking about Starbucks, Amazon, they're going to continue to face struggles because they're those those things aren't going to go away in in, the, in a few months either. So it'll still be a pretty exciting year next year. It'll just look a little different. So anyway, I want to wish everybody who listened a good week. Um, I doubt we will have a show before Christmas. I'll, so I'll say uh, happy holidays and happy new year, both to the listeners and to you, John, and your family. Yeah, same to you. It's been, it's been a real pleasure. Um, this has been, uh, recording these shows has been one of my highlights of 2022. Yeah, and, I like and it. I'm not just, and I'm not just saying that because I'm staring at you over Zoom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which nobody will ever see but us. Um, and I do want to, uh, I do want to shout out your annual um uh, your employer, bad employer of the year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go is to, open right yeah, now. Yeah, go, to, so. go to ohioemployerlawblog.com. There's a link right at the top of the page. It says, I think, like, click here to vote for the worst employer or something. But uh, I whittled 14 nominees. I whittled down to seven finalists. They're, they are all awful. People have told me they've had a really hard time uh, ranking them. I'm using rank choice voting this year. So you rank your worst five, and then the computer does its magic to um, spit out a winner so that that'll be uh, voting is open through December 14 at ohioemployerlawblog.com and then uh, I'll announce the results uh, the winner uh, or loser I guess depending on your perspective and there's seven truly horrible people or companies yeah, or employers or whatever so. there's there's uh, yeah there's murder there's colon cleanser there's um, uh, uh, slumlords there's a, something for everybody 
<laughs> hurricane, the hurricane lady. Yeah, down there in right. There's yeah, there's walking through hurricanes. There which is, is not there is, my employer, thank goodness. So anyway. there is literally something for everybody. All right, John. Take care. I'm gonna go ahead and end the show. Thanks. Have a good one. You too.